This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. dog on Christmas Day, I don't know how I drew the short straw of Christmas Day dog walking, and we were going to do a series on Ecclesiastes, and then I was listening to this uh, podcast about the, the way of Jesus, and I felt God say to me, we need to start the year with five weeks looking at the way of Jesus. So this is a kind of last minute uh, change, uh, but I'm excited uh, about that. I, I don't know if you entered the new year with a, with a Christmas bounce. You sing, don't we? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Uh, you know, we, we, we get it. We get that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one, and that he's come to make the world new. And we kind of get that. But somehow the challenge is not believing that that's true. The challenge is, 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 is putting that connection, as it were. Let me read what I put. The challenge is not that we don't believe in the transforming power of Jesus, but somehow the engine of the gospel power often fails to translate into the rubber on the road of daily transformed lives. Who would say that that's, that's true in some measure for them? You understand the mighty power of the cross and Jesus, but actually in reality, it's kind of harder to get it done. And um, we all drive cars. My daughter doesn't drive a car, but she actually was uh, out with her boyfriend, and uh, she had a little drive in the car park. And uh, I think she drove, she suddenly said, oh, my word. I I, it's not, it wasn't automatic. It was like, oh, my word, what do I do? I've got to dip the clutch, and I've got to lift the clutch slowly, and then suddenly the car's racing away. And, and we've kind of got to learn those kind of things. We've got to learn how to drive cars, to put them into gear, and, and get, the, the, get the, the power of the engine connected to the wheels. And, and the Christian life is, is not simply be believing the power of the gospel of Jesus. It's so that when we die, we switch on the engine and go to heaven. That's the only time we need the power of Jesus. There's actually something else. We've kind of been misinformed that the Christian life means that you, you get up each morning and uh, you, turn, you get your U-version Bible up and you turn the key and the engine runs on the driveway for five minutes and then you turn it off and then catch the bus to work like everybody else. You know, there's no kind of sense of, well, this, this Christian life is supposed to go somewhere. It's supposed to take us on a journey. You know, sometimes we think, I know that this Christian life is supposed to take me on the road. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn on the key each morning and I'm going to turn it on. And then what happens is I'm, I'm going to get out the back of the car and I'm going to push it. I'm going to push this car because I need to be a Christian and I need to get this Christian car thing on the road. And we think, you know, it just doesn't happen. And, and the only time we feel particularly that it's moving is when we've got our three going and we've got three guys and we're saying, right, Friday morning, Andy, Andy and Paul and me, we're all pushing this car and we feel, yeah, isn't it great? And in the end, we just feel I've tried harder to get this spiritual car on the road. I'm going to get this rubber on the road. But the reality is we feel, we feel guilty about our lack of progress. And at the start of the year, we need to take some lessons. 
We need to take some driving lessons. We need to put on our L plates. Uh, we need to go to the, the academy driving school. Sorry, it's a cheesy picture. We can, <coughs> academy driving school, and we need to be discipled. We need to be apprenticed on, by the great teacher on how to turn the key and drop the clutch and pull up the gear and, and of, of eternal living, of, of life in the spirit. And so I feel it's really important, and I felt God speak to me as I walked the dog, to say this is what we're going to do. We're going to try and learn to, to join the gospel engine to the kind of wheels of life with this kind of clutch and gears of, 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 of spiritual walk in the way of Jesus. <clears throat> so we're going to look over five weeks um, with uh, Andrew Haslam. I don't know what he's going to talk about. We're just going to give him a free swing. Really do be there. He's brilliant. Please do be there. Um, but we're going to have five, six weeks about this uh, on the way of Jesus. So let, but let's read, I'm going to read a whole stack of verses out of Mark's Gospel and then just one <coughs> familiar section from uh, Matthew. And then we'll go to work. Let's pray. Father, we just pray as we try to find the practices and the rhythms and the habits that mean what it really means to follow you and to really take this Christian life out onto the road to put the the rubber of living like you, Jesus, the tires on the road and see the, the effective change in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would become not just Christians, but truly discipled by you, truly followers of you uh, this year. Lord, I pray do that for me afresh. Do that for us afresh. Reset us, recalibrate us in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few ver- verses from Mark's Gospel. I know a very few of you follow with paper now, so I won't say turn down and turn over the page, but I'll just assume if you are, you know where we're going. So first one's Mark 1 verse 16. Jesus, As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. <clears throat> follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you catch men or catch people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going a little further, he said to James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, uh, who were putting their nets in order in a boat, uh, immediately called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boats with the hired men and followed him. Mark 2, verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting by the text booth, or toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Mark 3, 13. Jesus went up the mountain and called all those he wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12 to be with him and he sent them out to preach. Mark 8. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And then familiar passage at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority is being given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. When Jesus calls people, what phrase does he use? Follow me. 
He doesn't say become a Christian. He doesn't say get on the Get Connected course. <laughs> you know, he doesn't say come to the Kerry night. He, he says follow me. He doesn't say behave like a Christian because you're from a Christian country. He doesn't say, uh, you know, uh, wear certain types of clothing. He says come and follow me. The idea of uh, discipleship, though, Jesus didn't invent. Uh, um, the Greeks, Plato and Socrates, they were disciples. or uh, One was disciples of others. I can't remember who was who. So they, that was in the Greek world. And, and, and discipleship was something that was quite common. A rabbi, uh, a teacher, would, would ask... Um, invite people to become their disciple or their apprentice. And the word they would use is, follow me, come follow me. And, um, and, the, sermon, and, and, the, and the, the podcast I was listening to, John Mark Calmwood, said that there was four, three levels of discipleship in, in Jewish culture. Everybody, in one sense, uh, was a learner. The first one uh, was called the house of the book. And this is kind of like primary school. Uh, and it's a bit like, actually, in some it's in Muslim countries today, they'll, they'll teach the, the kids how to read and write and do maths um, using the Koran. Uh, and it was the same in, in Jewish culture. They would teach the, the kids to read and write uh, and do maths and stuff uh, based on the first five, ch- first five uh, books of the Bible or the Jewish Torah or the Jewish law. And at the end of, uh, by age 12... That they had to, they had, to, had to know how to read and write and everything. That was guys and girls. And they also needed to be able to re- re- memorize the whole of the first five books of the, of the Bible. So when you're kind of running out of energy as, as we kind of hit Leviticus in, in February, you know, you're thinking, man, I'm struggling to just read this uh, for an hour a week. Uh, for, sorry, for five, ten minutes a day. Uh, but the reality is, you know, they're memorizing it. And, and okay, they had an oral culture. We've got so many distractions. But, but that's what happened. They'd be, uh, boys and girls would be uh, uh, in this uh, house of the book. At age 12, most of the boys would go off to be apprentices to their father's trade. So that Jesus, obviously, you know, went off to be apprentice to his father as a uh, carpenter. And, and all the girls would get married. So if you think, man, you know, we've got some work to do on, on women's rights, age 13, all your daughters are off getting married. Um, the second level of discipleship then was, was called the house of learning. And basically the, the best of the best of the boys were, were invited to this house of learning. It was attached to the synagogue. Uh, and these guys would be taught the full scope of the Jewish faith. And by age 15, they'd be expected to memorize the whole of the Old Testament. I mean, memorizing scripture is quite good. I think there's a few guys who've been with Paul Hunt and have been memorizing bit, little chunks of the Bible. It's a really good discipline to memorize scripture. And it, particularly in our information overload age, it's a good, good uh, discipline to memorize scripture. But in this house of learning, by age 15, uh, they'd uh, have learnt uh, the whole Bible. And then what happened, it was like the, the elite, the best of the best of the best, the kind of... The, 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 the kind of Ivy League, the, the Oxbridge candidates, were, were, were then apprenticed to a rabbi to become a disciple. And to become a disciple, you had to go through this kind of rigorous, it was almost like applying for your UCAS. You had to, you know, fill in your kind of, uh, ref, fill in your statement. You, you get your parents to do that for you. You fill in your statement, you'd fill in your grades, and you'd do all this, and then you'd be subject to this intense interview program. They'd bring you up to the kind of rabbi's place, and they'd, ask, they'd grill you for two, three days, like this interview program. Uh, and then, uh, you know, very few people would actually make the cut, but then the, the rabbi would pronounce at the end of this process, Come and follow me. 
Interestingly, what happens in Mark 8 is that Jesus cuts through all of this and he says to the whole crowd, come and follow me. It's almost like he's saying to everybody, and they would have heard it like, okay, everybody, we're all going to go to Oxford. We're all going to go to Cambridge and we're all going to study how to be a, 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 a disciple. And it, it, Jesus is kind of saying to everybody, you all are involved in this. This is not something where you just go to the house of the book and you do Sunday school and then you forget it. Or you, kind of, you get a little bit serious at 15, you do the house of learning. No, he's saying everybody, Jesus is radically saying everybody needs to be my disciple. The word Christian appears in the Bible three times. And it was basically a, a bit of a term of abuse. They didn't really know how to label these kind of strange people who followed Jesus. And, and, and Christians were all, oh, you're, the, you're the Christ ones, you're the Christ ones. But actually the term that Jesus uses 269 times, the Bible, the, Old, the New Testament uses it, is the word disciple. The word disciple. And I think sometimes we can think being a Christian is separate from being a disciple. But actually, in Jesus' thinking, there was no other category. It wasn't like you were culturally a Jew, and that made it. No, he calls everybody, even if they're culturally Jews, to say, I want you to be a disciple. And it's the same, he calls everybody, whether you've been a Christian country, whether you've got some kind of Christian background, he says, no, I want you to be a disciple. Dallas Willard, in his brilliant book, The Great Omission, says this, that the New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, for disciples. This is a, we're called to be disciples. We're called to be followers. We're called to be learners. We're called to be apprentices of Jesus. Now the first role of a, of a disciple, if they were a disciple to a rabbi, was to be with the rabbi. To be with the rabbi. That was your job. You basically followed the rabbis. It wasn't like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, geez, I follow you, rabbi. Yeah, I, I, you know, I like your likes on Facebook. Yeah, I follow you on Instagram. I, click, I love all your pictures. I do follow you. This was like not metaphorical following. This is you had to follow the rabbi around. You went where the rabbi went. You ate what the rabbi ate. You read what the rabbi read. You spent time with the people that the rabbi spent time with. You slept where he slept. You, you were with the rabbi all the time. And, and Mark 8, Jesus says, uh, Mark records, Jesus went up the mountain and called those he wanted, and they came to him to be with him. To be with him. These, there was a phrase that um, was uh, talked about at that time. It said, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. In other words, you would follow the you'd follow your rabbi so closely that on the dusty roads of Palestine, when his sandals kicked up dust, you'd get covered with it. That, that, that was a blessing. You were going to be so close to your rabbi that you were going to get, you're going to get covered in his dust. And it was a blessing. May you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. And that's still our calling. That's still our calling to be covered with the dust from traveling the road with Jesus. That's still what we're supposed to be doing. We're still supposed to be be with him. Now, it's a little bit of a challenge, isn't it? About what does it mean to be with Jesus? I guess the typical Christian has been misinformed that Jesus will follow you around. When Jesus says, surely I am with you to the end of the race, you say, well, that's kind of handy, isn't it? Because I'm going to go about my normal business, doing my normal kind of Cheltenham or Gloucester or wherever you're from kind of things. I'm going to do those kind of things, and Jesus is going to follow me around, and then occasionally I'm going to say, Jesus, can you help me get that job promotion? 
And he's got it. And then you follow you around and say, hey, that girl, that guy, really fancy them. Could you sort that for me? Uh, that house down the road, really want that. Could you, could you do that for me? And we've got this idea that Jesus is following us around. Kind of to give us the health or the wealth and the happiness we need. But actually, being with Jesus is about following him around. It's about saying, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you do. So when Jesus says, I'm surely I'm with you to the end of the age, it's actually saying, I'm there. This, is a, this little bit here that I just, when, when Mark, John Mark Hummer spoke about this, I, he used these phrases, and that really challenged me. He said, Jesus is always there but we're absent. Jesus is always there. I am always with you, but we are absent. In my head, I can think, Jesus, where are you? You're kind of absent. I need you for a little request I've got going. You know, you, you seem to be absent. But actually, he says he's always there. And we're the ones who are absent. So I'm absent on Twitter, following Leeds United. I'm very sorry about that. You know, we had a great 5-4 win. We had, you know, I, I, I'm, 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 follow, I'm, I'm there. I'm on social, you know, and I'm thinking, how much time am I absent with that? And he's there and I'm not there. It might be like, you know, you've got young kids. It's great, we've got loads of young kids. You know, that, and it's not bad to be on Twitter following leads? Well, you might think so. But, you know, certainly it's not bad to be feeding your kids. You might think, I'm in the chaos of life with my kids. And, and in that busyness, you're absent. Or I'm busy at work and I'm sorting out my life. Or I'm even serving on Sunday morning. And, and, and Jesus is here, but we're absent. Pete Hughes, who leads a great church in London called KXC, says this, we need to consciously seek Jesus in the throes of everyday life, saying yes to his presence by his spirit. Jesus, you're here, and now I'm here. Jesus says in John 14, verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another counselor, another advocate, another one like me to be, along, to be alongside you to, is it up there? What's it say? To be with you forever. The spirit of truth. You know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans and come to you. Jesus wants to be present with us. He wants us to be present with him. And I've been trying to, as I've been kind of thinking about this, to think, to say just in the moments of my day, Jesus, I'm here now. You're here, but I'm now here. So walking my dog, I was just saying, Jesus, you're here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm fully attentive. I'm here. You know, in traffic, when people, we're getting cross, I do get cross with people, you know, in traffic, and, you know, like, what is that woman doing? Why didn't she get out into the traffic? And why doesn't that say, you know, and, and, uh, but actually, so, sometimes we'd be better in traffic to say, Jesus, you're here, I'm here. But there's that sense where we, you know, you can be washing up and say, Jesus, you're here, I'm here. Feeding the kids, 
Yeah, when you're reading the Bible, you know, when you're reading the Bible, you want to be just not saying, oh, flip, you know, my, my, I'm reading this. We're going to start tomorrow, by the way, aren't we? We're going to start tomorrow. I hope you're desperate. Think, flip, four days are gone. I am, my Bible, I don't know what to read. We're going to start tomorrow, Bible survey, part one. Click on it, tomorrow morning, start. And we're all going to start together, and we're going to read, and we're going to say, before we do it, Oh, no, no, oh my, not my word, what on earth am I going to send to my friends because like, I don't know what to say. We're going to say, Jesus, you're here. Jesus, you're here and I'm here. Now speak to me. And when we've read it, we're going to say, Jesus, you're here. I'm going to speak to you. We're going to try and do that. We're going to be with him. Sometimes we miss the very richest thing that life can offer, which is Jesus because we're too busy and absent. Dallas Willard, in the book I mentioned earlier, said the non-disciple has something more important to do than, Jesus, than be with Jesus. I love this. It says something on that dreary list of security, reputation, wealth, power, sensual indulgence, or mere distraction and numbness still returns his or her ultimate allegiance. How are we doing on that? How are we doing on that? We're present with our stuff, but absent from him. We need to choose to engage the clutch, in order to dip the clutch and engage the gear and just get the engine of Jesus' presence and our lives synced up together. We need to think about that. I've got an automatic car, so it does it for me automatically. But for you now, who, are, who haven't got automatic cars like me, you need to remember to push the gear down. I, even when I'm driving, I still think, right, I'm going to overtake this car. I want to, you know, I want to sink, I want to drop the clutch and say, let's engage with the power. And I think, I want you to think that image. I want you to engage with Jesus in the moment. I found this quote, well, I didn't find this quote because I've never read this guy, but a book I was reading had this brilliant quote in, by a gal called All of Revo. Revo's an, an abbey. Uh, I think it's in Yorkshire, actually. And Allred must have been one of the Vikings or something. I don't know who he was anyway. He said this, Sometimes, Lord, sometimes I wander away from you. But this is not because I'm deliberately turning my back on you. It's because of the inconstancy of my mind. I weaken in my intention to give my whole soul to you. I fall back into thinking of myself as my own master. And then this is so profound. But when I wander from you, my life becomes a burden. And, in with, and within me I find nothing but darkness and wretchedness, fear and anxiety. So I come back to you and confess that I've sinned against you and know that you'll forgive me. We want to do that. That's why we're doing this Bible reading. It's saying, I'm dropping the clutch, engaging the gear. Jesus, I'm here. We're going to talk, I'll, I'll talk in, dig, dig into deep, bigger detail than that. But, so that's the first thing. Jesus, I'm here. You're here and I'm now here. I've been gone and absent, but now I'm here. So first job of a, of a disciple to be with their rabbi. The second one was to become like their rabbi. Humanity is always being formed. You're always being shaped into something. Uh, you know, we could talk about kind of attitudes. How, 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 I don't know if you've, if you've lived in Cheltenham all your life or if you've moved to Cheltenham, but Cheltenham shapes your attitudes. You know, you, you, it, it shapes what you wear and it shapes the places that are cool. 
to go to or not. I, 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 we would take, Andrew Wilson and I were taken th through that really cool bar. Is it, what's it called, 131? And I thought, this is not really my territory. I'm not really allowed to go in here. This is far too cool to me. But Paul Hunt said, come, let's go. So we wandered through, and, like, and, I, and I, want, I thought, how much is a gin and tonic? Now that's why I don't go there. But, you know, we're constantly being formed. Our attitudes, what's cool and what's not cool. We're, we're constantly being shaped into something. You know, sexuality is very plastic. You play with your sexual preferences. You look at pornography, it will shape your sexuality. If you let, we are very, very plastic. We're constantly being formed. Not just sexuality, not just how much gin and tonic we drink. We're constantly being formed. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, When the Lord God formed the man, that's Adam, from the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils a breath of life and he became a, a, a living being. The, the, the word ground, I've put it there. I don't do Hebrew, but I've put it there for you, the clever people. The word ground, it sounds like... Adam, it's almost as if God wants to say, look, this is what you are. You will say it, don't you? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Dust you were and to dust you return. We're clay, we're formed. It's almost like the picture is that, that, that God stoops down in Genesis 2 and he says he takes the, the Adama, he takes the dirt and the clay of the ground and moulds us and shapes us into his image. A brilliant passage from Genesis chapter 1, the kind of high-level version. So God created Adam. In his own image, he created them male and, uh, and he created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. God took, took the, 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 the dirt, he took the clay and he molded it into the image of God. Amazing. But when we rejected God, we said, God, I don't want your hands on me. I quite like to be shaped in my own way. You know, there's a the kind of stupid question that, that, that uh, Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah to, uh, when he goes to a potter's house and he sees the pot all go... Pfft. He said, you know, can a, potter, can a pot say to the clay? Can a, can a clay say to the potter, why have you made me this or why have you made me that? It's kind of saying, how stupid of it is to think us as clay can form ourselves. You need hands on you, you're going to have hands on you. And we said, I don't want your hands on you, Father. I don't want your hands on me, God. I'll have someone else's hands on me. And so what happens is we're, we're, we're formed in a different way. We're formed in, in Adam's broken image. But the promise is that we'll be like him. I love this verse in Corinthians 15. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, so we'll also bear the image of the man of heaven. God's going to take us and form us again to be like him because we've, not like, we've become not like him. We've become shaped by other things and other preferences and other desires and other things that have warped us and twisted us out of shape. But God's going to say, I'm going to get my hands on you again and I'm going to form you like the man of heaven. I'm going to form you like the one who came incarnate at Christmas and I'll form you like him. Dallas Willard again. Spiritual formation in Christ is the process. It's not a, I became a Christian, boop, I became perfect. If, any of you, if that happened to any of you, I'd love to know how it happened. But for me, I became a Christian and then you think, something happened, but not everything happened. You know, the kingdom came already, but the kingdom came, but not fully. I, you know, God shaped me, starts to shape me in his image, but it's a lifelong journey. And I think I've been a Christian a long, long time, and I start the new year and think, flying, I've a long way to go. I was saying that in the kitchen to Nemi and, and our friends were in the camera, oh, I've got a long way to go. 
been doing this journey a long time and God's had his hands on me a long, long time, but it's been a process and, and I need to engage with the process. Spiritual formation in Christ is the process by which the innermost being of the individual, the heart, the will, the spirit, takes on the quality and character of Jesus himself. In the degree to which it is successful, the outer life of the individual becomes a natural expression or outflow of the character and teachings of Jesus. Do you want to be like that? You just want that. You know, individualistic culture tells you that you're going to be unique. You're all unique. You're all incredibly perfect. You're all a, a, a beautiful snowflake that's, that's fallen from heaven in this perfect, perfect way. And, and, you know, and Disney tells you if you can have a dream, if you've got your dream, you can become anything you want to be. You, know, you, can, you can form yourself, oh clay, into whatever you want to be unfettered by outside influences. You can be who you want to be. But actually the reality is we're formed by the outside. We're formed into the image of something or someone. How does that happen? How do you become disciples of other things rather than him, rather than Jesus? The reality is as simple as time. It's as simple as time. It's as simple as the mundane habits of your life. If you spend your time moaning, you'll be turned into a bitter person. If you spend your time in avaristic desire, you'll become an empty person. We'll be shaped and moulded by our time and our habits and who we spend our time with. The people we spend our time with will shape us. The things we do with our time will shape us. Tish Warren, who's a Church of England minister, she says this, the crucible of our formation is the anonymous monotony of our daily routines. I love that. The anonymous monotony of our daily routines. You may have a really amazing, exciting life, but most of us have anonymous monotony. But these daily Routines, they rewire us from the core to see the world in a certain way and to desire certain things. It means the habits of our lives shape the desires of our lives, which in turn shape the directions of our lives. Misdirected loves lead to misdirected lives. So if we wake up tomorrow and we're not intentional about who's going to shape us, we'll be shaped into something else. Are you apprentice of Jesus? Are we apprentices of the culture? It's a daily decision. It's a daily decision. Becoming like Jesus just doesn't, ha- it doesn't really work as a hobby. So if, you, if, if, if being a Christian is a good hobby for you, it isn't going to get it done. You're not going to be shaped by a hobby. Demaris likes to do jigsaws. If you do a jigsaw every Christmas... You know, that's not, that's not, you know, going to shape you, is it? But the reality is, if you, if you, if you go to church at Christmas once a year, or you pop in occasionally, it isn't going to get it done because there's so much other stuff getting on in your life. I wrote this at the absolute minimum. It, being a follower of Jesus must include some daily prayer and Bible reading. Even if it's just like a one chapter, we've made it easy, one chapter, Bible survey, one chapter. There's a debate, should we do the whole Bible? No, too much, three chapters. 
We'll do one chapter. But one chapter a day can shape you. Praying five minutes a day, even if you just say the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, I'm here. Our Father. You say the Lord's Prayer. A week, weekly being in community with God's people. Weekly being here. Weekly eating and sharing lives. Christopher's going to talk about the practice of community next week, about how it shapes you. Gathering in for character conversations with the three. That is just the bare minimum. If you just do that, you're just going to stand still. But if you don't do that, you're going to just gradually drift back. We need to be formed, and we'll talk some more about what it means to be come like Jesus. Lastly, the last call is to do the things the rabbi did. So what's the first one? Be with the rabbi or be with Jesus. Second one, become like Jesus. Third one, do the things that Jesus does. Not did. Not did. Does. He's still at it. I was, oh, let's, have we got spare? I'm so excited. I read a tweet. This is off my notes, but I just thought it encouraged you. I read this tweet. I was on Twitter. I was looking for lead stuff, and I, there it was. It popped up about a Christian website. There it was. And it basically said, in Iran, because obviously Iran's in the news, in a, when the uh, Muslim revolution uh, had fully worked in Iran in the 19, late 70s, there were 500 Bible-believing Christians in the country. It's like almost wiped out. Now, this really excited me, a million. There's only three million in the UK. Fastest growing church in the world. Right in the middle of the darkest, deepest persecution. I'm reading stories. This is relevant now. It wasn't, but now I'm going to make it relevant. I'm reading stories, and this one guy said he went to the library, and amongst the books in the library, somebody had put in, in Farsi, a New Testament. Like sneaky, because you're not supposed to do that. And he said he put it inside his cloak and took it home. He read it for four days. After four days, he says, I want to follow this Jesus. He told all his family, and there's a little house church that meets in his house now in Seacliff. God's doing that. Jesus is still doing stuff. He's still doing stuff. Jesus says in John 14, uh, verse 12, truly, truly, that when Jesus says truly, truly, he's saying, listen up, get off your phone, get off your social media, listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, Howard, I truly, truly, I say to you, God first, whoever believes in me, let's read it. Jesus is interested in rubber on road. He's interested in tires on the tarmac. He's interested in going with him. The thing is, to master this is a lifelong journey. I'm on a lifelong journey. But we must reset. And I want us to reset at the start of the year and say, this is the journey we're on. This is the journey we're on. Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary, yes, and burdened, yes, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourself, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
The yoke is easy, but it doesn't mean it just happens by just sitting there and whistling a happy tune. It just doesn't do that. It takes intentionality. And this is a challenge for me because I'm not great at intentionality. I much prefer spontaneity. But actually, the walk of Jesus requires intentionality. Does anybody play the piano here? Hands up if you play the piano. Who am I going to ask? There's Lizzie sneaking at the back. Lizzie, how, did you learn to play the piano quite quickly? How, how long did it take you? Several years. Do you practice every day? You should have. You're more likely than me, Lizzie. <laughs> you should have practiced a lot. I, I, I know to learn the piano takes a long, long time. Anybody run a marathon here? Nazi again. There's something, have you noticed something here? Some spontaneity, intentionality. Naomi, did you just get up that first morning when you decided to run a marathon and up out the door you went? No. How long did it take you to train for running the marathon? Oh, so smug. About 25 years. Because I know that I started, last summer I started couch to 5K, and I'm still on the couch. <laughs> I, I, I remember I ran for 20 minutes. I thought, I've run for 20 minutes. I'm saying, I, I took a video and I sent it to my three. Guys, I've run for 20 minutes. Next week I get cramps, my trainers run out. It's like, oh, forget it, just give me chocolate. I think I'd, lo I'd love to be able to just sit and eat chocolate and become like Jesus. But it doesn't work like that. You have to train. To do anything significant, you have to train. Not try. I could try very hard to run a marathon, but however hard I tried, I couldn't do it. Don't laugh, because most of you are like that, Reuben, I know. <laughs> the reality is you couldn't do it. You've got to train slowly, 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 slowly. Some of us are spiritually couched to five minutes in our times with Jesus. Come on, let's, let's put some intentionality into it. I'm nearly finishing here. John Altberg, a great book on spiritual practices, says this. Training is essential for almost any significant endeavor in life. Running a marathon, becoming a surgeon, learning to play the piano. You ne the need for training does not stop when it comes to learning the art of forgiveness or faith or joy or humility. It applies to a vibrant spiritual life just as it does to other activities. This is a great line. Think, learning to think, feel, speak and act like Jesus is at least as demanding, at least as demanding as training to run a marathon or play the piano. So we're busted then. We're all busted. Because <laughs> it's not going to get done by just actually like you do with mar a marathon run is just willpower. We've got to understand, my, my rather poor metaphor, there's an engine of power that we've got to connect to. So the, the living the life and doing the stuff is the power of the Spirit, the power of Jesus. We've just got to learn how to connect to it. Just got to learn how to, to get that transmission into the wheels of our life. Spiritual transformation, becoming like Jesus and doing the works of Jesus is not achieved by mere religion as a hobby or by determined effort, certainly not by wishful thinking or hoping for the best. Becoming like Jesus is ultimately God's work. It's the inner work of God's Spirit. Here's a bit of encouragement. 
Paul says, I am certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus. God's invested a heck of a lot of money, I would say money, <laughs> a heck of a lot of time and energy in his own blood. His life laid down, his body broken, to put that life-changing power within us. One of the things why we break bread, and I'll finish here, I think Jesus says this, didn't he? And I think we can, we can spot a bit of a habit, really, with it. Let's go to the next slide. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. After he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this as, say it, often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I think the real place for this was every time you had a drink. Every time you had a bite to eat. Every single meal in Jewish culture had bread and wine. They might have had fish and stuff, but they always had loads. And they always had wine because there was no clean water. And Jesus said, as often as you drink it. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I want you to stop and say, Jesus, you're here. Crucified. Risen. Ascended. Poured out spirit. Jesus, you're here. Now I'm here. Now we're here. Now transform us. That's why we do it often. We didn't used to do it often because we thought it was kind of religious. But Jesus says, do it as often. So I'd encourage you in your groups, do it often. In your family, do it often. Because the habits of your life will shape you. And to think on Jesus the beautiful one, crucified, died, risen, ascended, it's life-shaping the monotonous, anonymous moments. So we're going to have a moment where Jesus basically, through my voice, says to you, come and follow me. If anyone wants to be my disciple, they've got to deny themselves and take of him. Take up his cross and be shaped by him. Father, we just pray. We pray, Lord, these words are easy. It's easy for me to speak these words. But Lord, we pray for the power of your risen life at work in us to shape us and transform us and to make us more like you. We say, Lord Jesus, you're the one thing we want. To be like you. To be with you. To be covered in the dust of your walk. Lord, we want to do the things you've done. Lord, thank you that you said to us at the end, to your disciples, when their initiation, their training was done, now go and be rabbis and teach others. Go and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Lord, we say, let us be the ones who take the journey through the house of the book, the house of learning, to, through the rabbi, so that we can be disciple makers. 
so that we can take a town and our relationships that have been shaped and formless and see the hands of Jesus upon them again and their image remade and shaped after you, the beautiful one. Pray, do it in us. Not just for the thinking of it, but Lord, in the intentionality of your desire to bring it to completion. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.